Welcome to the Entourage Podcast. My name is Paige Scott, and I'm going to be your host. Entourage Ministries gets its inspiration from Psalm 6811 that says, The Lord gives the command, and a great army of women proclaim the good news. Entourage is a multi-generational, multi-denominational, multicultural women's ministry based in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us today as we dive into truth from the Word so that your heart and spirit may be encouraged. Hello, everybody listening, and welcome to the Entourage Podcast. My name is Jesse Salee. Ladies, I want to dive in today and talk about something that I've touched before. If you have listened to the podcast previously where Paige and I uh, give commentary over a commentary study that we're doing right now called uh, Revive School, and it is from Time to Revive. We have currently done Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, I believe, each book. Uh, we study a book at a time, and then we've given an overview in previous podcasts. And in the overview that we talked about in Numbers, I talked about this story, Balaam. And um, I talked about how most people know Balaam because they know that there's a talking donkey in the Bible. <laughs> and that's ac- that's absolutely accurate. There is a talking donkey in the Bible Um, But this particular story, whenever I got to it, the talking donkey wasn't what stood out to me like it would have before. And so I just want to dive in to the word um, in truth this morning and really take a look at this story specifically at a deeper level. So once again, if you've listened to the numbers, the podcast on the numbers commentary that Paige and I did, you heard me talk about this a little bit, but I just want to spend time casting God's vision in my life, in your life, and in generations to come. And the first thing that is on my heart is that God blesses those who obey him. And whenever he first commissioned Abraham to be the father of Jews, to be the father of God's chosen people, God told Abraham that he blesses Abraham and that he will bless anybody who blesses Abraham. And he will curse everyone who curses Abraham. And those are very strong words. We, the first time you hear about blessing is in the beginning. God blesses the animals. And how does he bless them? He tells them to be fruitful and multiply. And then he made man and woman in his likeness, and he therefore commissioned them in his image to rule and reign and create order on earth. But he blessed them and told them to be fruitful and multiply. And I'm looking outside of my garden right now, and I just think uh, we have a ministerial cut flower garden here at Entourage, and it's a summer cut flower garden that started with seeds. And we only do seeds because we believe in the resurrection life here, that you must die in order to actually be raised into new life. And those summer cut flowers that we grow every year, we give away to women to encourage them. And last year, those seeds spread into flowers and those flowers into bouquets and those bouquets went to hospitals, to mourning um, wives who lost their husbands and to sweet souls. Uh, who just needed to be reminded that they are loved (laughs) and 
God cares about the little things. And we got to bless them with that. But it is such a good reminder that God loves to bless. And what blessings look like in our life is not houses. It's not brick and mortars. It's not building our own empires for our own names where it says that everything in our flesh is vain. Jesus even said in John before he said he was the bread of life, that manna came down from heaven, but it only satisfied the flesh. And that's as far as it went. But Jesus is the bread of life and he satisfies a hunger that lasts forever. There is an eternal aspect of our lives and that is our spirit and it is awakened and sustained and it lives eternally by the blood of Jesus but our flesh withers away and it passes away and if we spend time building an empire for flesh that has a time limit on it and it says our life is but a vapor then we have lived our life in vain and God tells us to set our eyes on something greater on something more generationally. And he blesses us that way and says, be others minded, be fruitful and bear children. So your children can bear children and thousands of generations will be blessed. It is not about me. If my eyes are set only on me, I will be sorely disappointed. One, because not everything will go my way. And two, because I have a time limit on my life. And if, I, and if I want God to bless me, I better align my desires and my wishes with how he blesses. And he blesses generationally. And he also blesses as a church. So not only was that the blessing for Adam and Eve in the beginning, it was to their children and their children's children and eventually on down to Abraham, who was the father of the faith. And it said he will have children that not even the stars in the sky um, will be as many as the children under, under his name, and that is the name of the Lord. So today, I just want to speak a blessing over you. I want to break any curses off of your households, off of yourself, off of any lies you believe that hinders you uh, from living a life of eternity and just sticking with a life of flesh, if there's anything, if there is anything that you are focused on that is in vain, that that is restricted only to what you desire and to build up your your own name, then then I'm just believing that God give you a bigger vision this morning. He blesses us as a church body. He first blessed Abraham so that his whole church body could be blessed and it even says in Deuteronomy 28 all the what it looks like to be blessed by God and it even says that there are no poor among us and what he means by that is not that, that we won't have hard times but he's saying that the strongest um, and the most abundant in your church family in in your blessed family that God has blessed will be able to be strong enough and abundant enough to bless even the weakest of these and that's and it's such a beautiful picture to just be so open and humble um, to be able to receive that blessing. So all of that said, I find myself in Numbers 22 again with this story about Balaam. And Balaam was a man 
who in Balaam was commissioned by Balak. Balak was the leader of the Moabites. And in this time, right before Numbers 22, um, in case you're unfamiliar with this part of the Bible, it is where Moses is leading the Israelites. Uh, They have left Egypt. They're in the wilderness, and they are making ground to go towards the promised land that was promised to them, though this generation that is walking will die out before um, they meet, they make the promised land, and then the generation after them will be able to go in and conquer um, Canaan because of their disobedience with the Lord. And so in, so in the chapters before this, we learned that the Israelites have a problem with trusting the Lord, obeying him, doing what he does, or yes, obeying what the Lord tells them to do and doing his will, and then backsliding and moaning and groaning and complaining and asking the question, why are they here? And there's these setbacks, and it's like this cycle where I trust you, no, I don't get disciplined. I trust you again. I won't do it again. I'm sorry. Oh, I backslide. And here we are again in this story. And But amidst all of that, I wanted to reiterate as well before we get into Numbers 22. I want to remind you that the Israelites, though they had issues with following the Lord, trust issues, clear trust issues, which reminds me of my two-year-old right now um, who obeys me, says, yes, ma'am, and then five minutes later does something that does not, that disobeys me. And, and I just think her behavior is not welcome and, it, and she will receive consequences from her actions. But her identity is not contingent upon her behavior. We've learned this a lot, and um, it's been spoken a lot at my church locally that I go to, but I just want to drive it home here and tell you, ladies, if there is anything you think you can do that makes your identity in Christ um, or anything that you do that is contingent upon your identity in Christ is a lie. There is nothing you can do that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. It takes faith. Faith comes what is heard, and what is heard comes from the Word. And we know in the Word that the Holy Spirit reveals to us us the truth and the wisdom of the Word. And the truth of the Word that the Holy Spirit imparts to us, along with, partnered with, our faith in what Jesus did, which came as the Messiah to die on the cross for us, and to save us from all our sins. And if we partner in faith with the Holy Spirit and believe and then in turn obey, that is the only only thing we do in order to become saved. It says faith is um, what is not seen, which means there is nothing we physically do. It is an act of surrender to say, I do not lord over my life anymore. I know that I was bought by the blood of Jesus and I was created by God himself who loves me and has come after me so much so he sacrificed his son for me. And from that moment on, everybody who bows to the name of Jesus Christ and follows the love of God and is sensitive 
to the teaching of the Holy Spirit. No behavior you do from that point on um, will make or break your identity in God. I look back at my garden again, and I just think of the seeds all around. The seed, once it hits the ground in good soil, um, which in the parable in the gospel says the seed is the word and the soil is our hearts. Once God's word hits good soil, our softened hearts that God's prepared and it grows, um, that seed becomes whatever God made it to be. I will never put a tomato seed in the ground and it spring up a hibiscus or, or something else. There's no way it can because God already predestined um, who we would be from the beginning. But do we surrender ourselves in the darkness where we can't see like faith? Put yourself in the ground and surrender so that you can be raised up into new life, into who you're meant to be. We don't make ourselves who we are. We have time and we're formed into maturity, but we are who we are from the beginning. And God is the one who told me who I was from the beginning. And I just get to walk out in faith, my maturity in him. Now, can I stay little? Can I stay immature? Yes. And if I do, that will hinder my witness to others. But it does not hinder me reaching the gates of heaven one day. But may we, may we long for full maturity in Christ so that we can truly be who we really are. If you find yourself with an identity crisis longing to be something and you're striving for it, you're missing the point. God says rest in him, abide in him so that you can grow in a healthy environment into full maturity and there and only there will you find who you are. And from your identity is where you work. Because you know who you are, you know how to love others, what to be like. It's just innate inside of you. And it really is not rocket science. Um, and we rise and we are blessed because God has called us blessed. And anybody who tries to curse us will be cursed themselves. And here we get to Numbers 22, as I've talked your ear off in, in this um, opener, I, I guess, about Balak and Balaam. And what we know is even though the Israelites misbehave time and time again, they have the hand of God on them. Their identity is in God who said, you will be my people and I will reign over you. And they are advancing towards Canaan and they are taking anything in their sight and conquering in there. I believe it said that they would have to conquer seven nations before they got there. Um, don't quote me on that, but they would have to conquer nations before they got to Canaan itself, which is also a good side note that even if you know where your promised land is, you still have things to get to in order to go there. It is very distinguished being saved and walking into promise. Those are two different things. These Israelites were saved from uh, the Egyptians. They were enslaved in Egypt, and they were set free. But then they had to walk out their maturity in obedience to the Lord in order to get to promise. And so just because you're saved does not mean you will receive all the promises of the Lord in this life unless you yield and obey 
They're just very distinguished things. It's called your sanctification, and you need to walk it out. Yes, you will see the Lord in the land of the living for eternity in your spirit. But until then, may we be hastened and quickened to have the truth on our lips so that we can share with others um, that there is a place at the table for them that God can only give in abundance, and he will stop at nothing to get to anyone and everyone because he can't help but give. So the Israelites are very powerful, and word has spread that they are. And all of these kingdoms that are in between them and their promised land are trembling, and one of them being the Moabites, and Balak is the leader of the Moabites. And he was so fearful, so much so, that he commissioned Balaam, this wizard of sorts, to come to a tall mountain, look over Israel, and curse them. Because Balak knows with the power of God backing the Israelites, there is no way that Balak can defeat them. Balak understands that his physical capacity is no match for the eternal strength of God. And he is trembling, and this is his last resort. And so in this story, um, you hear Balak implore to Balaam to go and curse. And it says, uh, chapter 22, verse 6, Now therefore, please come, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Verse 7, so the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam and repeated Balak's works to him. And so um, Balaam gets the word from the leaders of Moab. And then God comes to them in verse 9. It says, God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, he sent word to me. Behold, there is a people who came out of Egypt, and they cover the surface of the land. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I may be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, Do not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Verse 13, so Balaam arose in the morning and said to Balak's leader, go back to your land for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. The leaders of Moab arose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak again sent leaders more numerous and more distinguished than the former. They came to Balaam and said to him, thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, let nothing I beg you hinder you from coming to me. And I just want to pause here and say the actions of Balak, the king of Moab here, remind me morbidly of the actions of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, mind you, was so nervous about the might of the Israelites, which, mind you, they were enslaved. But why were they mighty? Because they were strong from being enslaved and they were high in number. They were mighty in number. They were fruitful and they multiplied. God blessed them even though they were in oppression. 
And while Pharaoh was trying to live in vain, building brick and mortar and a name for himself, God was building and blessing the way he always did, which was in generations, (laughs) generationally. Side note, if you think that this attack on babies and this current issue of abortion is not directly linked to that, God does bless by being fruitful and multiplying. And uh, we are mistaken if we think that children are a hindrance to our vanity, to our self-image, our self-worth in the empire, we think if we think that children do not have a place in it. Okay, I'm, I'm off that high horse. So anyways, back to the story. Um, Balak reminds me of Pharaoh because Pharaoh, even though he knew how great God was, he saw all of the things that God was doing through Moses and the power that he had, Pharaoh's eyes were on the Israelites. He didn't have his eyes on God and God's greatness. He had his eyes locked on where the Israelites were relative to him. And Pharaoh had a lot of power. He was the leader of the Egyptians. He has successfully enslaved them. And and Egypt has enslaved the Israelites for 400 years up to this point. He is a mighty man, and he sees that. So when his eyes are not fixed on God, the creator of the universe, and taking God seriously, he looks at himself and his resources next to the Israelites, and that's how he decides to move. And if you recall, when the Israelites left captivity, God put them in an interesting place where their faith had to be tested off the bat. And he stuck the Israelites sandwiched between uh, Pharaoh's army that was coming to them and the sea, in the Red Sea. And if you remember, the Israelites said, why, Lord, why did you put us here? How dare you? Why didn't we go the shorter way to leave into the wilderness? Now, Um, Pharaoh sees that we're vulnerable because relative to him, it looks like fish in a barrel, right? That Pharaoh can just capture them all up. And this is just a fluke, even though they've lived all the plagues, even though the Shekinah glory is hovering over God's people. He's looking at the people relative to him. And he says, ah, they're stuck at the sea. I'm going to go get them. But did but he did not regard God and what God could do. And God parted the sea, and he still didn't regard God and what he could do, and he took his men into the divided sea. And when the Israelites uh, came to dry land, the sea swallowed them up. And here Balak, a leader of the Moabites, a very powerful man among his kingdom, sees Israelites. And they're wandering in the desert, and he knows that they're mighty, but he's still seeing them relative to him. He knows he doesn't have the Lord. He knows they have the Lord and that they're blessed. And he says, ah, if I can curse them, I just might have a way to win. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny that on, to us it would be easier for Balak to just surrender to the will of the Lord and say, hey, we are for you. If you come through us while you're going to Canaan, may we help you. May we cheer you on. May we join you. May we be part of you, for you, bless you, so that we can be blessed in return. But no, he thought the easiest thing 
in order for him to fulfill his own wishes and his own empire and his vanity that is fleeting, he just knew he needed to curse. And though Balaam, in the beginning, God met him, <laughs> talked to him and said, don't, don't you do it. Don't you do it, Balaam. Balak said, stop at nothing and come. So here's the part of the story that everybody knows. <laughs> or, I mean, maybe not everybody knows, but if you've heard Talking Donkey, it is Numbers 22, uh, chapter 22, verse 22, when an angel comes to Balaam while he is on the way. But right before that, verse 18, I just want to say, Balaam replied to the servants of Balak, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything either small or great contrary to the command of the Lord my God. Which is such an interesting thought because Balaam is a pagan. We learn after this story that he actually dies uh, because he's a pagan. He does not obey the Lord. He's trying to curse. He curses. Um, he follows spirits that is not uh, the Holy Spirit. And he partners with bad spirits. Um, but he knows. He knows that there is something greater than him and he is his hands are tied and his hands are limited and doesn't that sound like all the demons in the gospels whenever jesus comes they know jesus's name they know they can wreak havoc with anybody who believes the lies uh, that they breed but their power is limited when the light of the world which is life comes in <laughs> and and balaam knows that so anyways all that to say he still went. Verse 21, Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the leaders of Moab to go curse the Israelites. Do we think it's going to go well for him? Absolutely not. Um, I'm just going to skip. What happens next is an angel appears to Balaam while he is on his way, but Balaam can't see the angel because it's in spirit. You know who sees the angel? <laughs> the donkey. The donkey that Balaam is riding sees the angel. The donkey's spooked. Balaam gets angry and strikes the donkey. And then eventually the donkey's mouth gets loosed. And then the donkey opened his mouth in verse 28. and Or the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey is what it says. And she said to Balaam, so this is a girl donkey. Way to go, female donkey. <laughs> she says, what have I done to you that you have struck me? three times, then Balaam talked to the donkey, because that's what I would do. Because you have made a mockery of me. If I had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you. And then the donkey told him, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life? Have I ever been accustomed to do so to you? He said, no. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed all the way to the ground. The angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out as an adversary because your way was contrary to me. But the donkey saw and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not, I surely would have killed you just now and let her live. Then Balaam said, I have sinned, for I did not know that you were standing there. Now then, as if, if, if it is displeasing to you, I will turn back. And then the angel uh, proceeds to tell them, uh, you shall go with the men, but you can only speak the word of the Lord. 
And before we go any further, I just want to point you to verse 1 where it says, The Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. So before, he was blind. We know he wasn't a follower. Of course he wasn't. He was going to curse them even though he knew the might of the Lord, which demons know. It's not enough. If we know that the Lord is strong, but we don't yield and obey to him, it is not enough. We have to have eyes open and ears ready to hear and see the word of God and to yield to it. So it's the Lord who opens our eyes and the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam to see the angel. And now he is going to obey Balak, but also do what this angel told him. And that is to only say what God says. So now a pagan is God's mouthpiece. Isn't that interesting? So um, Balaam goes up the first time and he, he just says, how shall I curse whom God has not cursed? He comes down, tells Balak. Balak's like, this is not good enough. I need you to go back again. And Balaam goes up to a different place to curse Israel. Uh, and then God gives him a word and tells him that they are blessed and that nothing can be cursed and that they are like horns of the wild ox. No omen can come against them, yada, yada, yada. And then he comes back down and tells Balak everything. And Balak said to Balaam, do not curse them at all, nor bless them at all. <laughs> and Balaam replied, did I not tell you in verse 26 of chapter 23, whatever the Lord speaks, I must do. And Balak is getting very, 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 um, he is getting very desperate at this point. So he took Balaam to the top of Peor, which overlooks the wasteland. So a different spot again, third time. Balaam said to Balak, build seven altars for me here and prepare seven bulls, seven rams. Balak did just as Balaam said and, the, and offered it up in the ram on each altar. And now we get to my absolute favorite part of the whole thing, which is chapter 24, verse 1. When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek omens, but he set his, his face toward the wilderness, which means he set his face towards God's people. Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe, and the Spirit of God came upon him. He took up his discourse and said, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down, yet having his eyes uncovered. And he goes on to the blessing that God shows him on Israel. And two things about this. May I remind you, God is blessing Israel. He is showing Balaam how he sees them. Balaam does not see an undisciplined, immature um, people of God. He sees the blessing. And why is that? Because their behavior is not contingent upon their identity. And secondly, what does God do? He gives Balaam eyes to see. Verse 4b, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down, yet having his eyes uncovered. So in his natural eyes, the Spirit is putting this veil over him uh, of seeing what the Almighty sees, and yet his eyes are uncovered. Absolutely, absolutely beautiful. 
But may I remind you, seeing visions from the Lord and having revelations from him are absolutely not enough. And the the only thing that I can compare it to really on earth here in this present day would be a Sunday morning service or like on Entourage, we have Tuesday night monthly gatherings at the second Tuesday of every month where we get to encourage each other. But if we have this revelation of God and we come into this beautiful place of intimacy with him and he gives us visions of how he sees us and how he sees others, and then we turn around, go back to our normal lives and not yield and surrender to who he is and who we are, then we absolutely don't partner with him and we are just like Balaam who still remained a pagan and who died later. You can see the most beautiful visions of the Lord, but they won't change you unless you believe them. You can see the most beautiful visions of others uh, and tell them, and maybe they believe, but your life won't be changed unless you partner with them as well. I love verse 8, part of the blessing. God brings them out of Egypt. He is for them like the horns of the wild ox. He will devour the nations who are his adversaries and will crush their bones in pieces and shatter them with arrows. He couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who dares rouse him? Blessed is everyone who blesses you, and cursed is everyone who curses you. Verse 13, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything contrary to the command of the Lord, either good or bad, of my own accord. What the Lord speaks, that I will speak. So he obeyed the angel. He obeyed God in this commission. And though Balak tried three different times in three different places to curse, he absolutely could not. What a beautiful beautiful message and what a waste that Balaam wasn't changed after so women anyone who is listening to this I want you to know those who obey the Lord are blessed and those who bless us are blessed yes if we have eyes of pride selfishness deceit uh, fruit of the flesh in Galatians 5, right before fruits of the Spirit are uh, relayed. If we partner with those things, we are now enemies to the blessings of the Lord and we are cursed. But if we partner with the blessings of the Lord and we bear fruit of the Spirit, we will be blessed and others will be blessed. It says in Nehemiah 1 that people will run to the place where God's name dwells. And I can feel a deep chasm, a huge gap from the truth of God and what Jesus did in the sin and darkness that separate people from him. And I can just feel my arms right now extending to these far places in this light and life that God lets me carry in Jesus as I partner with this vision I have of who I am and who people are and I can feel my hands reaching people through that chasm, and they are coming near because I am where the place where the Lord's name dwells, and our church is the place where the Lord's name dwells, and Entourage Ministries is a place where the Lord's name dwells. So women, 
I bless you um, in the name of Jesus to be fruitful and multiply, to, to know that you are made in his image and that who you are is not contingent upon what you do, what your behavior is, but who God made you to be and your direct obedience to that. And I just pray that every vision that you have from the Lord um, is not a bad seed sowed like the gospels say where distraction takes it or something steals it away or the soil and the ground is not prepared, but that it, it gets into your heart and that it grows into maturity and that you grow into the fullness of who you are in the Lord just, be, just by resting and obeying in him. And may your works be blessed and may generation after generation rise up and call you blessed and may you not put out the spirit's fire and not treat prophecy with contempt may you test everything hold on to good avoid every kind of evil and may god himself the god of peace sanctify you through and through may the meditation of your heart and the words of your mouth be pleasing in god's sight for he is our rock and our redeemer if you have any questions about salvation, please feel free to reach out to us directly on our email, online, on our Facebook. Come to a gathering. It's every second Tuesday of the month if you're local in Durant, Oklahoma at 1104 West Alabama. You can find all that information on our website at entourageministries.com. And I love you, bless you, pray that you have eyes that make you an obedient believer in the Lord. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Entourage Ministries, visit our website at entourageministries.com or visit us on Facebook or Instagram. 